to Connell Tribune, 6th of May, 2021. Bobby Sands, nothing in their Imperial Arsenal can defeat me. 40 years ago yesterday, the life of the most courageous person I ever met ended. At 1.17am on the 5th of May, 81, his life ebbed away in the hospital wing of that infamous of prisons within the H-Plex and Long Cage. The British confirmed it in a short statement 30 minutes later, and on the 2am RT radio news, the presenter announced Bobby Sands is dead. The dreaded but inevitable news that the world awaited had finally reached us through the dulcet D4 tones of some Brawls Bridge type. What they were announcing was a world away from the cosy confines of Ranelagh and Dockey. The red at the British Embassy just previously in nearby Marion Square had sent shockwaves through society's elite and confirmed in the following days when RTE sent just one camera team and a single reporter to Sands' funeral while the world's media had descended in their droves. The reporter entrusted with the onerous news story was none other than fellow Belfast native and future president of the Republic, Mary Magalese. She suffered in tears as she was dubbed a Provo fellow traveller by Owen Harris and the revisionist clique which dominated the Dublin media. The events of 40 years ago are now history to this year's Leave and Search students and first year undergrads struggling with a modern crisis which has struck society in 2021. The sacrifice of Bobby Sands and his nine comrades should be required reading in our history books for all students. It was a moment in time. In 1981, the repercussions of the hunger strikes had divided Irish society. We were 13 years into a conflict for the ages. Thousands were either dead or in jail. There might have been a sense of war weariness creeping in and also the possibility that jaw-jaw might be better than more war. A decade and more of armed struggle had brought events to a head, but worse was to come. The story of the hunger strikes of 81 is so well known that it hardly needs me to reiterate what a horrible year it was. My memories of that year of impending doom and gloom, a time which will always stay in the memory, a harrowing tale of determination from young men, to challenge the power of a foreign government, a conviction carried from history that they were political prisoners, and nothing the British could do would break the resolve to defy them. It was an inspirational time just as much as Terence McSweeney in 1920. Bobby Sands began his hunger strike on the 1st of March. He died 66 days later on the 5th of May. I penned an article about him nine weeks ago that's the duration of the hunger strike. 66 long, excruciating days of a slow, agonizing breakdown of the human body. Let's all for a minute just recall what we were doing back in May 81. In Donegal, we were closer to the front line than anywhere else in the Republic. While life went on as usual, it was always on our minds. We might have been at our workplace or cutting turf in Glen Bay. Maybe watching Argentine Ricky Vila score a wonder goal at Wembley to win the cup for Spurs after his country had battled with the British over the Malvinas. My kids were young, just two and three. They were too young to understand what was happening. 
Now, 40 years later, they've lived a lot longer than all the hunger strikers did. What the name Bobby Sands means to them and all young people of that time would be an interesting case study. 1981 was the most depressing year of my life. My memory of it is a time of unrelenting sadness. I've mentioned previously it felt like a time of darkness. The news every day brought reports on the hunger strikes, the magnificent self-sacrifice of the volunteers in the strike, in comparison to the obstinate refusal to compromise by the Iron Lady Thatcher, was classic irresistible force against the immovable object. It was gamesmanship on behalf of the British. Thatcher predicted it was the IRA's last card, how wrong she was. She might have stood firm against the hunger strikers, miners and Argentines at the time, sent them to their deaths, to oblivion and watery graves, but within a decade she was shafted by her own Tory party. Descended and faded into obscurity and death, her name barely mentioned, whereas the name of Bobby Sands is known around the world as a symbol of resistance in the same mould as the iconic Che Guevara. 66 days of the hunger strike bore a pattern of highs and lows. On the 1st of March 20,000 marched along the Falls Road in support of Bobby Sands. He kept a diary for the first 17 days and recorded for posterity his thoughts as he faced imminent death. Yet he wanted to live, he had a passion for life, wrote eloquently poetry and prose. He was a singer who played the guitar in the early years in the cages and rattled out songs from his cell during the blanket protest. He also composed the classic Back Home in Derry and McElhatton, made famous by Christy Moore, The Migrant's Thoughts of Home and the Patune Maker in the Hills Around Grand Ravel. He was inspirational as he regaled a captive audience with tales of the underdog Jet and his right-wing military dad took two days to tell the story of youth rejecting post-Vietnam aggression. All this in a cell he would never leave until his final days. To this day, all the men who shared the cages and the H-block cells with him have an ingrained respect for a friend and comrade who as an ordinary guy made an extraordinary commitment to those same friends. He died for them, for their suffering over four bleak years. And with hindsight, Bobby Sands' extraordinary duel with death to defy Thatcher and the British government created the modern Ireland we have today, just as much as the Celtic Tiger, boom and bust, Italian anti, same-sex marriage, Eighth Amendment, children's rights. But the effect of the hunger strikes brought a reawakening of a new political era. At that time in October 81, it might have felt that the hunger strikers failed but nothing could be further from the truth. The electoral intervention in Fermanagh South Rhone, which made Bombay Sands an MP in a parliament he resented and didn't recognise and would never have taken a seat, changed the face of Irish politics. Armed struggle morphed into electoral intervention. The armalite in the ballot box paved the way for peace and seismic change in politics both north and south of the border. Sands, Francis Hughes, Joe MacDonald and Big Doc didn't die in vain. Their youthful sacrifice challenged the status quo in Dublin and Belfast. 
So much that 40 years later, the legacy of Bobby Sands is that Republicanism is the largest political party on the island, with 750,000 voters. In government in the six counties, and probably the same in the Republic after the next election. Those bastions of partition on both sides of the illegal border have had their day. The Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael hegemony is finished. Unionism is in disarray. The 2021 Northern Census is going to show a nationalist majority and a referendum on Irish unity within a decade. If anyone has brought us to these heated days, it was Bobby Sands. My recollections of Bobby Sands are of a young, long-haired guy, a good footballer. We played against each other as youths and then on the pitch in captivity in the cage. I was interned in New Year's Eve 71 and then back to the cages in August 72 after Operation Motorman. Bobby Sands was lifted the same week. We were held in the cages for a few months then transferred to Crumlin Road Jail before trial. Six years awaited us from the Unionist judge in an old jury Diplock court and back to the cage. We were domiciled in different cages. He was in 17, I was in 18, just adjacent to each other. Our cage was mostly dominated by Ardoin and New Lodge men, whereas his cage had Lower Falls and Short Strand guys. Cage 17, more than most, became a think tank of community activism. Jerry Adams, Dennis Donaldson, Brendan the Dark Hughes, Clicky Clark, Jerry Rooney and Bobby Sands himself. More than most, they would mould the IRA for the long war to follow in the political process which came after the hunger strikes. All have passed now except the big beardy guy. Sands and hunger strike, Donaldson and Informer, the dark a dissident, Clicky a serial escapee and Adam's bodyguard succumbed to cancer. Classic photo survived from Kate 17 with all the boys together. Life has taken a heavy toll on them. 1981 was a difficult time in Ireland. It was a recessionary time with unemployment and emigration prevalent. The ongoing conflict had taken its toll on life in the Republic. We were 60 years in the independence. 30 of them as a new Republic, but only in the 26 counties. Partition had created a mentality where many thought Ireland as the 26 counties. Ireland ended at Lifford, Calais, Dundalk, Pettigo and Clonus. The two political parties that governed society since the Civil War were partitionist in the extreme. Irish people in the six counties were excluded from political life in the Republic, not allowed to vote or take seats. For all intents and purposes we had a two-nation theory expounded by people like Conor Cruz O'Brien and T.K. Whittaker. When the chance came in 69 to show the world the six counties belonged within an Irish Republic, Jack Lynch and Fianna Fáil were found wanting as the present RTE gunplot documentary and podcast so eloquently revealed. During the hunger strikes, the country was divided along political lines. Fianna Fáil, Wahahi and Power wouldn't support the prisoners, although many ordinary members did. Similarly, Finn Gale and Gareth Fitzgerald, who traditionally were less inclined to embrace Northern nationalists, but again ordinary members made of empathy with those dying. Labour, who were heavily infiltrated by the Workers' Party, were an absolute disgrace 
James Connolly would have put them up against a wall. The Shinners were a small political entity at the time. Because of the conflict, were isolated in the Republic, even ostracized by many, treated as lepers in a sense. But the massive numbers of ordinary people who flocked under the Smash Hates Blocks banner sent the warning to the government elite there was potential for republicanism if harnessed in the right way, and they were frightened. A few years later, Gareth Fitzgerald signed the Anglo-Irish Agreement with Thatcher to stem the influence of genuine republicanism in the Republic. The writing was on the wall. It was a difficult time. H-Block committees sprang up all over the country, protest matches, marches, black flags, and a massive propaganda battle raged worldwide, launched long before social media. In the six counties, GEA clubs threw their weight behind the hunger strikers, and why wouldn't they? Both Kieran Doherty and Joe McDonnell played for St. Teresa's, my local club in Belfast, and Kevin Lynch was a county hoarder with Derry. But in the Republic, it was different. There was a hesitancy to get involved. I tried to get my local club term and bring a motion to Congress, but it was discouraged, same as when we asked to bring a motion against the occupation of Cross McGlenn's pitch. It was politely declined. Years later, I met former President Paddy McFlynn at an Irish language course in Nadunov. He was president of the GEA during the hunger strikes and told me they had to draw a line, a fine line, as many clubs would have lots of Gardaí involved in positions of influence. That in itself was no problem, but in the political context it was. While their fathers and grandfathers might have been involved in the armed struggle of 1920, the reality was 60 years later they couldn't accept armed struggle as the same thing. The Irish army, similarly, and new young soldiers who were warned they'd be court-martialed if they attended a H-Black march. This is the same army who were born out of the IRA in 1922, but weren't prepared to cross the border in 69. But while government forces and political parties weren't prepared to support the hunger strikers, the ordinary people were, and their thousands all over Ireland, north and south. The people who sustained the armed struggle by keeping men on the run, or organising armed dumps on their farms, working class people in the towns and cities that came out in droves. Republican Ireland, which had been subdued by the civil war parties and nobody to vote for, were stimulated into action. The European election victory in 79 of Neil Blaney, with almost 70,000 votes on the Wild Atlantic Way, showed the establishment that the Republican vote was out there. I pray the hunger strikers, they would see it in full force. On the night Bobby Sands died, Huey McGee and former chairman of Donegal County Council, Eddie O'Donnell, RAP, myself and others were putting up black flags. Bobby Sands' death was imminent and we were preparing for an outpouring of emotion. Sadly, later we heard that a local political hack had said shopkeepers were threatened to close a disgusting assertion from someone who had manoeuvred power and wealth, but the people had spoken. They came out in their thousands in every town in Ireland on the day of Sands' funeral. In Letterkenny, 3,000 marched down the main street. They recognised that his sacrifice spoke volumes in comparison to the carpetbaggers who clung to power for 60 years. 
In Belfast, a hundred thousand plus attended the funeral of Bobby Sands. My sister Berndette was the girl paper who led the funeral, a proud moment for our family. At Anderson's town, a friend was in the firing party saluting their dead comrade. At Milltown, he was laid to rest as army helicopters flew overhead. They feared him yet. Around the world, a reaction to the British action to let the 27-year-old member of their parliament die was one of disgust. In Tehran, they renamed Churchill Street, where the British Embassy was located, to Bobby Sands Street. The Pope sent an envoy before Sands' death. Neil Blaney and De Valera's granddaughter Sheila visited him. In Norway, a protester threw a tomato at the Queen. The longshoremen in New York had a 24-hour strike. Fidel Castro compared Sands to a Christ-like figure. In France, Belgium and Italy, thousands marched and burnt Union Jacks. Members of Parliament in Portugal stood for a minute's silence. The Russian state paper Pravda said another chronicle of oppression in Ireland. Palestinian prisoners in Israel paid tribute to Sands. In India, members of Parliament also stood in protest. In Glasgow, Celtic fans flew banners depicting Bobby Sands, William Wallace and the Palestinian cause. At every Celtic game now, the song Roll of Honour is belted out praising the hunger strikers. Surprisingly, American papers the New York Times and Boston Globe supported Thatcher, but Irish America came out in force to protest at the death of Sands. It was a moment in time. Forty years later, the name Bobby Sands is known worldwide. He died young, he died too soon. He died for a political ideal. His mother passed last year. I can still see her on TV outside the jail appealing for a peaceful reaction. My son is dying. Like all the hunger strikers, the mothers were the strongest of all. They didn't want their sons to die, but they wouldn't undermine their determination to see it through. Those brave women deserve a place in the annals of history. The hunger strikers changed. The hunger strikes changed everything. Bobby Sands' election showed republicanism what was possible. Two years later, Jerry Adams took the Westminster seat from Jerry Fitt, who had supported Thatcher during the strike. An appalling vista from a former docker from working-class Belfast, who was made a life peer for his disgusting efforts, but his house burned to the ground by his electorate. Poetic justice for a collaborator. The combination of Armalite and Ballot Box proved to be inspirational and conceived in the cash. In the six counties, 82 assembly elections, Sinn Féin gained five seats. In council elections in 85, 59 seats claimed. In the forum in 96, 17 seats. Assembly elections from 98 to 18 averaged 26 seats. In Westminster elections from 83 to 97, one or two seats. Then from 01 to 2015, four or five. And in 2017, 19, seven seats. From the 83 elections when Sinn Féin collared over 100,000 votes for the first time, it has increased vote percentage ever since. In the Republic in 97, Sinn Féin had his first chapter Dalla since 1957 and first to take a seat since the second Doyle in 1922. And Cuevin O'Keelan won Kevin Monaghan 
the seat won by Kieran Doherty during the hunger strike. At the start of the new millennium, the Sinn Féin vote share was 121,000, 6.5% in five TDs. By 2011, it was 220,000, 9.9% in 14 TDs. In 2016, the 100th anniversary of the Easter Rising, it was up to almost 300,000, 13.8% in 23 TDs and in 2020 over 535,000, 24.5% in 37 TDs. In European elections, Sinn Féin's vote has remained around 330,000 from 04, but in 2014 rose to nearly 500,000, almost 45% on an all-Ireland basis. The phenomenal rise of Sinn Féin since 1983 when Alec Maskey became the first Sinn Féin councillor in Belfast City Council since partition and neither a TD or an MP of any sort. It has been nothing short of incredible and it all stems from the heroic and inspirational struggle, hunger strike and death of Bobby Sands and his nine comrades. All political struggles have a beginning and an end. To paraphrase Karl von Klausvich, politics is an extension of war by other means. The Republican struggle was never just about driving British troops out of Battlemarfi or the bog side, same as it wasn't in West Donegal or West Cork in 1920. The political elites in London and Belfast could handle purely military resistance, but were terrified when Bobby Sands' sacrifice showed there was another way. In Dublin, the last 20 years has caused apoplexy. The blue shirts will always be blue shirts, but the Republican Party, Fianna Fáil, are dreading going down the path of the SDLP and been written out of history. So much so that Michal attacks Sinn Féin at every chance. That is the legacy of Bobby Sands, volunteer, political activist, hunger striker, martyr, and the man who brought the Republican ethos to the Doyle and democracy rocked to its corporate free state knees. A referendum on unity awaits, a new republic desired by the ordinary people who seen through the carpetbaggers, bankers and Galway tent fraudsters. The young people all over Ireland are educated, intelligent. They've also been vilified by some elites during the various lockdown, yet those hit the hardest are the young people in social life and in education, but they are also our future. The one thing I've found within our finest cohort is that they all know the name Bobby Sands. They know how and what he died for, and they are the generation who are making the difference in political life. To quote the articulate one-time comrade Bobby Sands, our revenge will be the laughter of our children. <laughs>